Good afternoon, everyone. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing. We're a local congregation, and we meet at Two Thornwood Terrace. If you go up Dumbarton Road, you'll come to the police station, and opposite the police station, you'll find a hill there. If you go up the hill, you will then come to Thornwood Primary School, and you will meet our building next door at the crossroads and we would extend a warm welcome to you to come along any Lord's Day that's the first day of the week that's Sunday at 11am or again at the early evening at 6pm and we would extend a, a warm welcome to you all to come along we also have a meeting at midweek on Wednesday at 730 and again, we would extend a, a warm welcome to you to come along where you might hear something more concerning the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, it is a, a pleasure and a privilege to be here this afternoon. And we're, we'll be one or two others with, you, with me, and I hope that you will be able to take a gospel tract. It may well be that you don't have time to stop at the moment, but please come along and take a gospel tract, and uh, maybe you'd like to read it later on when you get home. And we want to come out this afternoon to draw to your attention something concerning the work of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll find tracts in there if you want to hand these tracts out. Yeah, we want to encourage you to consider the claims and the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, friends, we recognize that today we live in a day and in a generation when there is great ignorance concerning the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There truly is great ignorance. Many people really know nothing about Christ and nothing about the Christian gospel. And for this short time that we're here, and as you're passing by, we hope that you might hear something that will engender some interest within you concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, friends, this is something with, that we have to take on board. There is no question or doubt about this, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the most important person that ever appeared on this earth. There is no individual like him. And our reaction to him will determine where we will spend eternity. And therefore, the things that we're talking about are far, far more important than politics. And we might also say far, far more important than religion. We're not here preaching to you religion. We are here seeking by the grace of God to draw your attention not to religion but to a person. And that person is none other than the eternally begotten Son of God who came down from heaven on a mercy mission and that mission indeed was to rescue men and women. The Apostle Paul 
as you might expect, a great apostle, a Christian, but once upon a time he was a persecutor of the Christian church. He wanted nothing whatsoever to do with Christianity or with Christ. But he was converted. On the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. An encounter that changed his life. And under God, an encounter that changed history. Because the Apostle Paul was without doubt one of the greatest Christian missionaries that we've ever had. And he summed up the gospel like this. He said this to young Timothy, who was a young pastor in a place called Ephesus, that's still around today. And he said to this young pastor, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. <coughs> These were the words that the Apostle Paul wrote to encourage young Timothy. Young Timothy was a pastor and there were many difficulties in the pastorate at that time in Ephesus. But he would have Timothy be reminded he would have Timothy to be reminded of his great task. <coughs> and his task was to preach the everlasting gospel. And this is why we will come out this afternoon on this glorious afternoon that God has given to us. Don't try to listen to anyone that tells you that man is changing the climate. The climate has always been in control of the Creator. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter shall not cease. That's what he said to Noah. That's the covenant that God made with Noah. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter shall not cease until the world ends. And that's a promise. And that's a promise that God has kept for thousands of years. And that's a promise that He is fulfilling today. This is God's world. He created it. He's the one who controls the weather. He's the one who sends the wind and the rain and the hail and the snow and the hurricanes and the tornadoes. He's the one. He's in control. And therefore, we need not fear this man-made climate change. But here's what the Apostle Paul said to young Timothy. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now this is remarkable because the person that came into the world, who was he? That person was none other than the Son of God. And therefore, for him to come into this world was a great act of condescension. Because the Bible would tell us that the Son of God is the one who has created all things. Listen to what Paul says again in the Bible. In Colossians chapter 1, 
verses 15 to 17, this is how he describes the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now this might surprise you, I acknowledge, because many people think only of the Lord Jesus Christ as being in a manger. Or maybe they might think about him as being on a cross. Or indeed, as many might like to think about him, has been in a grave. But here the Apostle is telling us that the Son of God, who became the Son of Man, was the one who brought all things into being. He is the great Creator, the Son of God. John says in another part of the Bible, in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There the Word is referred to as the Lord Jesus Christ. (coughs) And John goes on to say in the same chapter, in verse 3 of chapter 1, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. This is absolutely remarkable. And indeed, this might be a revelation to some of you passing by this afternoon. But the Bible teaches us that the Son of God is the one who has created the heavens and the earth, the very physical world that we inhabit and the spiritual world that we don't and we cannot see, but we're rapidly heading towards. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who has created all of this. The Bible teaches us too that the work of creation is God's making all things of nothing in the space of six days and all very good. That's what the Bible teaches us. The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of His power in the space of six days and all very good. Now that we've established that our God is the one who has created all things, now that that has been established, friends, we need to realize and take on board that we have been created by our Creator. We know that it's very fashionable today to talk about evolution. We know that this is the religion that's preached in our schools and in our colleges and in our universities. But friends, without going into any detail, it is perfectly true to say there is not a scrap of evidence to support the theory of evolution. Indeed, it is totally unscientific. Nothing can come from nothing. 
That is a scientific fact. And therefore, evolution teaches us that everything has come from nothing, and we have evolved as a result. This is absolute <coughs> and utter unscientific nonsense. Therefore, now that we have established that we have been created in the image of God, this would tell us then that we are accountable unto God. However much we might not like to live up to this fact, the reality is that we are accountable to God. We are made in His image. He has given us a law to obey. <coughs> and we have to admit and acknowledge that we have broken God's law. We know that in the beginning, at the end of the six-day period, what happened? God created man. God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. And therefore, friends, we have to realize and take on board that we have been made in the image of God. This, therefore, demands that we are accountable unto Him. <coughs> we are accountable unto Him. Now, Adam and then his wife, Eve, were created perfect. They were holy. They were upright. They were pure. They were like their Maker. They resembled their Maker to some extent. And they were special. They were special because God said, let us make man in our image. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, this is what it says. Let us make man in our image. <coughs> this was not said of any of the animals or of the fish all of the birds. It is only said of mankind, let us make man in our image. Therefore, we are accountable unto God. And God has given us a law whereby we might live in order to please Him. But sadly, our first parents broke that law. And as a result, they became sinners. They lost their original purity. They were given a very simple commandment that they were not to eat from a tree, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were not to eat that fruit. And had they obeyed, then God would have granted them eternal life and to all, his, to, to all Adam's posterity. But the, te the tempter came, and the tempter tempted Eve. And Eve succumbed to temptation, and she ate the forbidden fruit, and she gave some to her husband, who ate also. And from that moment in time, sin has entered into humankind and to our experience. And sin has had a drastic effect upon us. It has changed us. 
so that every one of us, by nature, are sinners. Now, we don't like to be told this, but this is reality, and we must not avoid reality. Ever since our first parents sinned, they became sinners, and their nature was changed. They became dead in trespasses and sins. And because we've all come from Adam and Eve, we have inherited their sinful nature. We don't become sinners by sinning. We sin because we have a sinful nature. And not long after we're born, that sinful nature will manifest itself. It will show itself in our words, in our thoughts, and in our actions. And if you're a parent, you can see that in your children. You have children. You're delighted with them. You love your children. You want to bring them up properly. You want to care for them. You want to love them. You want to provide for them. And you do the best that you can. But what happens? You find they're selfish. You find they're bad-tempered. You find they're disobedient. Where did this come from? It came from their sinful nature. A sinful nature that all of us have inherited from our parents, and they in turn have inherited from their parents. This is because Adam and Eve sinned. The Bible tells us this in (coughs) Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin... And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You might not think that sin is a serious matter, but sin is an extremely serious matter. God views sin in an extremely serious manner, for sin is offensive to Him. Sin is a transgression of His law. What do we find in God's Word concerning sin? Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is to break God's law, this law that He has given to us. We have that law marked out for us in the Ten Commandments. You might have heard about the Ten Commandments. Maybe you cannot quote them or you don't know them, but you would have heard about the Ten Commandments. Well, because we're made in the image of God, these commandments are actually written in your heart. To put it in modern words, it's part of your DNA. It's part of being in the image of God. He has inscribed. He has stamped this law upon your heart. But He's also given it to us in the Word of God. Because of sin, the law is somewhat smudged and marked in our hearts. But God has given us the law in His Word. He revealed it first to Moses on Mount Sinai. And now we have it written down for us in God's Word. 
And that law is to be our standard. That law is to be our rule. We are to live by that law. But do you know, it is impossible for us to keep this law. We are required to. No one's denied that. But because we are sinners, it is impossible to keep this law. Now, you might well say, well, is there any hope? If God has given us a law that we cannot keep, how can we possibly please God? How can we possibly find acceptance with God? How can we be reconciled to God? God is holy. God is pure. God is undefiled. God cannot look upon sin. And we are sinners. We have therefore a problem. What can we do about it? Well, basically the first thing we need to realize is we can do nothing about it ourselves. We have to come to an end of ourselves. We have to recognize that it is impossible for us to in any way reconcile ourselves unto God. <coughs> but here is where the good news of the Christian gospel comes. Here is where the good news comes. It comes in the fact that Jesus Christ has come. He has come. He has taken our form. He has taken our nature. He has lived in this sin-cursed world. And He's lived a perfect life. He kept the law of God perfectly in thought, in word, and in deed. He's the only sinless person that ever lived upon this world. And He lived a perfect life in order that He would be able to offer up a perfect sacrifice when it was required of Him. And He did this in order that He might save sinners. This is what we said earlier on. This is what the Apostle Paul said earlier on. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. How could he possibly save sinners? Well, he saved sinners because he fulfilled God's law on their behalf. And he paid the penalty for breaking God's law on their behalf. And here, friends, is the very essence of the Christian gospel. It is, if we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, our sins shall be forgiven. Oh, what a message we have for the people on Buchanan Street this afternoon. Oh, what a message we have for Glasgow and for Scotland and for the, for the United Kingdom and indeed for every person in this world. There's a Savior of sinners. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. And in order to be saved, you must come to Him. What does the Bible say? Repent and believe the Gospel. What are you to repent of? You're to repent of your sins. <coughs> You're to turn away from your sins. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have 
no pleasure in them. It's good to see young people passing by. It's good to hear them, good to see them hearing something about the gospel. But oh, there's an application to them. There's an application to them that they are to remember their Creator in the days of their youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Because now is the time, today is the accepted hour, today is the time to come and to have your sins forgiven and to be reconciled to God. What does it say in the Bible? What does it say to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2? Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time, friends, when you're passing by and you're hearing something about the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you know nothing about the gospel. Maybe you find the Bible's confusing. Or maybe that's what people tell you, that the Bible's confusing. I put it to you that the message of the Bible is crystal clear. What is that message? The message is that God has made us. He made us perfect. We have fallen. We have sinned. We come short of the glory of God. And therefore, because of this, there are dire consequences awaiting us because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And therefore, in the gospel, we have the complete remedy. In the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have our sins forgiven and we are reconciled to God through, <coughs> through what Jesus Christ has done. And therefore, we urge you to embrace Christ as He's freely offered to you in the gospel. We're going to take a short break, but may the Lord be pleased to bless His Word to you this afternoon. Friends of Glasgow, please give me your attention as I come and bring good news to you from a King who reigns, from the God who sits above the circle of the earth, who dwells in unapproachable light, which no man has seen nor can see, and yet the God who sees all of you most perfectly, the God who knows your inmost thoughts, the God who saw what you've done this morning, who knows what you shall do this evening, and before whom all of your sins are clear as day in His sight. I come reading His Word, which is precious. It's finer than gold, even fine gold. It's sweeter than honey, which is to say that it tastes good to the soul. It's more desirable than even life and blessing and food and raiment and all the rest. Oh, well, thank you. I have good news for you, though. Christ came to save sinners. I'm going to read just a few verses here from Paul's letter to Titus. Titus was a missionary in a place that is Crete, not unlike this island. A place filled with ungodliness, with sin, with immorality, with unbelief, with paganism, with atheism, with every form of 
rebellion to God Most High, and yet to that island, Paul sent, or excuse me, God sent a missionary, a young man named Titus, not unlike myself. And here's the opening verses of this, of this great letter from Paul to his young protege, Titus. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle, one sent by God, of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath in due time manifested His Word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Well, there is so much that could be expounded here, and allow me to touch on just a few things. And let me first ask all of you as you're walking by, would anyone here say that they're happy? If I asked you, do you have happiness? Would you be able to answer that? I talk to a lot of people and no one seems to be happy. Everyone seems to be miserable. They've got clothes on their back. They have a comfortable place to stay. They maybe have family. They maybe have many other things which they desire, and yet people are not really happy. People are miserable. People are depressed. People continue in a life of rebellion to God and foolishly think that this is the way of happiness. But it is not. In fact, it is the way of misery. It is a way of foolishness. And the unhappiness, the depression which settles in, which fills so many hearts and minds, which has plagued the generation, this is nothing but the fruit of sin. This is nothing but the due reward for living a life apart from God. Living a life according to your own rules. Living a life that pleases you but does not please God. Now, can anyone here not identify with that? Can anyone here say, no, I'm perfectly happy. My soul delights in God. I'm happy that with whatever may come, I may surely say that I know the Lord. Well, there are those who may say they're happy and they're hardly fooling themselves. And they're certainly not fooling me. But most importantly, they have not fooled God. They have not fooled the God who knows their thoughts, who sees their ways, who tries their hearts. And yet in the midst of an unhappy, sinful generation, there is a message of hope. There is a message of faith in a Savior. There is a message of life eternal. There is a message of blessing and of happiness. And it is called here in Titus 1.1, the faith of God's elect. The faith of God's chosen ones. The faith uh, that God had appointed to give before the foundation of the world. The faith that leads unto godliness. The faith, my friends, that leads to life everlasting 
and in Jesus Christ leads to true happiness. Now, in order to be stirred up and provoked to this faith, there must be some demonstration of its necessity. There must be some reason why God would call all men to look unto a crucified and risen Savior in order that in Him they may have life and life everlasting. In order that in Him their sins, their lawless deeds, and their transgressions may be forgiven. And the reason given simply is man's foolish heart. Man's foolish heart from which proceed all matter of transgressions. I don't know any of you as you walk by. You're perfect strangers to me. I see people who are young, old, and are in all manner of life and occupation and all the rest. But the Bible comes and it searches us and it describes us. It describes everyone here under these simple terms. Transgressor. Sinner. Unholy. Whose foolish heart has darkened. Who does not seek after God. Who does not live according to His righteous commandments. Who goes out into the other way. And instead of worshiping the blessed God who made the heavens, worships sticks and stones and the imaginations of the thoughts of our heart. This is the biblical presentation of man. He's not in a good state. In fact, he's in a very bad state. We're born with wicked hearts. Our hearts do not go after God, but rather go after every foolish way. Filled with covetousness. Who here is perfectly satisfied with their state? Who here can be perfectly satisfied with bread and clothing? And if you had nothing else, would say, I'm happy. Who here doesn't look into the windows and think, oh, my life would be so much better if I just had this one thing. Oh, if so-and-so would treat me according to the way that I wish he would treat me, then I would be happy. Has anyone here ever told a lie? Ever been dishonest? Ever passed off someone else's idea as though it were yours? ever taken something and kept it though it was not yours? Ever lied about how much you worked or any such thing? Have you ever told a lie, sir? Yes. Yes. How can you say we're born with wicked hearts? We're born with wicked hearts, having descended from Adam, our father, who... What happens to a baby that dies then? Where does it go? There's no direct answer to that question, and we leave it into the hands of the we Lord. Are, we are born into innocence. We are born in into sinners. World. We're born into we a wicked born world. Innocent into no, a sir. World. We yeah. have a yeah. man who is saying that we are born innocent, and this is simply not true. In sin, my mother conceived me. The wicked go astray from birth. There is none who seek God. All men are counted guilty as Adam's sin. Romans 5. Just three texts off the top of my head which lead to a completely different conclusion. You see, that's the bad news. That is the bad news that we have been born sinful. We have been born guilty of Adam's sin. And we have been born with hearts that go astray. And if left to yourself, left to your own heart, 
you would continue going in the way of lawlessness, continuing going in the way of disobedience, lusting after others that God has not given you, filled with anger in your heart, not obedient to parents, not using your positions of authority well, not keeping God's day, using His name and His attributes and His ordinances and His Word and His works as though they were light things. But these are not light things. These are holy things. Worshiping God according to the thoughts and intents of your own heart. Or, God forbid, worshiping another God. The message of salvation doesn't come into friendly territory. It comes, as it were, behind enemy lines. It comes into a world drunk with iniquity. It comes into a world of sinners. It comes into the world of the ungodly, of those who are enemies with God. It comes to those who left to themselves would endure the torments of hell forever. This is the simple, unqualified testimony of God's revealed will in the Scriptures. But the Bible doesn't simply leave us there. It does not simply tell us that we are bad, though we are. It does not simply tell us that we have no hope of saving ourselves, though that is also true. It also tells us of the faith of God's elect, of the truth which is after godliness, and the hope of eternal life. It speaks of a life everlasting. It speaks of a truth which engenders godliness. And it speaks foremost of a Savior who saves. When the angel came uh, to, when the angel came and announced the birth of Jesus, he said, You shall call his name Jesus because he shall shave his people from their sins. And so God's message of salvation comes to sinners. And it closes the door of working your way up to heaven. It closes the door of trying to obey God perfectly and testifies in an unqualified way that by the works of the law, no one shall be justified. No one shall ascend unto the mount of God. Think back to Genesis chapter 11. Banished from God's presence. And there, in the early days of human civilization, there is, a great, uh, there is a great leader. And they gather together. They pool their resources. And they attempt to build a tower all the way up into heaven, trying to get back to God by their own merits. And God comes in judgment. He scatters them. He confuses their language and he puts them into all the ends of the earth, all the ends of the earth. But the next chapter, chapter 12, in that first book of the Bible, he comes to Abram from Ur of the Chaldees, an unbelieving man, a man that was in the paganism of the day, a man who was chosen by God, and he said, Abraham, go into a land that I will show you. He directs Abraham, as it were, by the hand. And what the tower builders try to achieve with their own efforts, God gives to Abraham by promise. He promises him a land flowing with milk and honey. He promises to be a God unto him 
and to His children after Him. He promises to circumcise His heart, to cleanse it of sin, to remove the power thereof. And Abraham, some 4,000 years ago or thereabouts, 4,400 in the far end of the world, looked unto the faith which is according to godliness. Through the types and shadows that God had given him in his day, he looked and he beheld a Savior. God comes and He throws His message of salvation out. He sends foolish and weak men like myself. And He says, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin and your false ways. Know that your works shall never justify you. But know that there is a blood which speaketh better things than that of Abel. There in Genesis 4, you have the first murder. The first instance of a man whose life was taken. It was his own brother. And there God came to Cain and He said, what has become of your brother Abel? I hear his blood. It cries out to me for vengeance. And friends, whoever you are, whatever your occupation, if you have been angry unjustly with your friend or your neighbor in your heart, there is blood that cries out for vengeance. It's a transgression of God's holy law. It's worthy of an eternal sentence in hell. And there is nothing that any of us, by our strength, can do to atone for it. We can't offer to God the first fruit of our increase. Not even a firstborn son. We can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We can't work for salvation. We can't eat a cracker or drink some wine. No. Eternal salvation is far more costly than that. It costs the precious blood of God the Son who came into this sin-sick world being born of a virgin, free of the hereditary disease which infects all of us. God of God. Light of light. And also a true man with a real body and a reasonable soul having all our nature Eyes, ears, brain, a mind, a soul, emotions, thoughts. And this holy, harmless, undefiled Son of God is the only one who has kept God's law to the full. Never coveting. Never stealing. Never lying. Never unbelieving. Never mocking never scorning, but perfect, entire, wholehearted obedience to every jot and every tittle of a law that condemns us all. And taking that perfect life, taking that perfect life and offering it up as the one and only sacrifice by which we may be reconciled 
unto God. He came in the fullness of time. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came with the scroll of the book, the law written in his heart to do God's will. He came singing in Psalm 118 that God would bind to the altar the sacrifice with cords, singing of Himself. He stood before the Jews and before Pilate as they condemned Him, as they spit upon Him, as they whipped Him with cords. And He, in every respect, submitted wholehearted, perfectly, even to that cursed, shameful death. It's a shame, the word crucifixion. We've heard it before. Sadly, you may have seen unlawful images of someone purporting to be an image of Christ on a cross. But in the ancient world, that word crucifixion was scandalous. It made the ears tingle. It was so horrible a death that people could not stand the sound of it. Strung up in broad daylight, made a spectacle, lifted above the earth with nails in His hands, with nails in His feet, bleeding and being mocked and scorned. Eventually the weight of uh, being strung up would cause the lungs to collapse. It would be difficult to breathe. And the only way to get a breath would be upon the pain of the nails to lift yourself up just to get a breath, only to let yourself down again. Most people died of suffocation because they ran out of strength. Being there for so long a time, they would eventually collapse. But that's not how the Lord Jesus Christ died. He died a bloodletting death. The blood which came from His sides. The blood which streamed from His hands. The blood which ran down His face from the crown of thorns given to Him. This is the blood that speaks better things than that of Abel. Because whereas the blood of Abel cries for vengeance, for reciprocation, for justice, friends, if you hear nothing else today, know this, that the blood of Jesus Christ is better than that of Abel because it cries for mercy. It cries for pardon. It cries for forgiveness. It cries that for all those who will look to a crucified Savior and say to the scorn and mocking of the world, there is the salvation of God. That all those who look unto Him shall be saved. That all those who turn from ungodliness shall be forgiven. That all those who place their hope and trust upon the message of preaching shall never be put to shame, but shall inherit life everlasting, fullness of joy which is only at God's right hand, and the pleasures which are forevermore. God promises 
to receive all those who come to Him in Jesus Christ by faith. You may be rejected by many people and many things. You may have applied for a job and been rejected. You may have desired to go to a college and been rejected. You may have asked for someone's hand in marriage and been rejected. But no one comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and asks, will you be my Savior? Will you take my sin and give me your righteousness are rejected? He gives a specific promise that all those, you, me, and anyone else who come to Him in said faith, that He will raise up at the final day. That He will fit with resurrection bodies. That He will call them by a new name. That He will usher them into the Kingdom of God. That He will be their Savior. That God will be their Father. And then it shall be fulfilled that the meek ones shall inherit the earth. That those who mourn over their sin shall be comforted. That those who are poor in their spirit shall inherit the Kingdom of God. My friends, do you hunger and thirst after God's righteousness? Or like so many, do you hunger and thirst after your own lusts? After your own foolish ways? After your own lies? After your own comforts? After your own ideas of how the first day of the week should be sent? After your own false religion, whether it be atheism, or Hinduism, or Islam, or any such thing? After your own version of sexual immorality, of theft, of covetousness, of rebellion, all of this is nothing and it will end in misery and ungodliness and destruction. But there is a better way. There is life in Jesus Christ to from? all those who come. Where are you from? I'm from America and then I'm here to you come. Ban guns and stop shooting kids in well, if you'd like you to talk to that, if you'd like to talk about that, perhaps that's a different conversation for a different day. But today, the message of salvation is being proclaimed. The message of salvation of God in Jesus Christ reconciling the world. Oh, it's easy to point out inconsistencies in my own life, inconsistencies in my own church, inconsistencies in my own nation, inconsistencies here and inconsistencies there, they abound. And if you would get to know me for just a few minutes, you would surely see some of them. But know this, there is no inconsistency in Christ. There's no lie in Him. There's no ungodliness in Him. There's nothing in Him that we would want out. And there's nothing outside of Him that we would want in. He is the holy, harmless, undefiled Son of God. And He is the only way to attain to the blessed hope of the faith of God's elect. Of turning from a world which is destined unto destruction and coming unto God through saving faith. There is only one name that is given under heaven whereby men may be saved. And His name is Jesus Christ. 
He's the only begotten Son of God. He is full of glory and truth. He is the one true and living God. And I've come to this country once such a bright shining star of Christianity. Once the envy of the world. Once the place from which men of all other nations would come to study and to observe and see God's work in Scotland. And I've come pleading in the name of Jesus Christ that you would turn again. That you would leave the foolish course. That you would come back to the God who calls you. That you would turn from all your sins. That you would receive the Lord Jesus Christ who is offered. But I come also with a warning if you have ears to hear. To whom much is given, much is expected. And though you may not have imagined that this day you would hear a man with a strange accent preaching a strange gospel, foolishness perhaps in your ears and certainly weak in the world's estimation. But friends, having heard this message, you are responsible. You do have obligations to respond. The message of salvation is an offer. But the message of salvation is also a command coming from God who divided the light from the darkness, who spoke and formed the world. And He speaks to you this day. And He says, Repent and believe. Take My Son. Do not continue in a reckless course. And no, friends, that if you do, you will have life and blessing in His name. But if you do not, you will give an account, not to me, not to your father, not to some religious man that perhaps you've known at one point in your life or another, but you shall give an account to the King of kings and Lord of lords, Him who this day is calling you, summoning you, Yea, even commanding you to turn and to believe. To receive and have life. To know the one true living God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. Final words here from Titus. Is brilliant. It is, is that best. through manifestation of His Word, through preaching, which was committed unto Paul, through Paul to Titus, and even to this present day, ministers of the Gospel, that through this Word, God the Savior is manifested. God the Savior is pleased to save. And God the Savior will receive all those who turn from ungodliness unto Christ. Please, I beseech you in last terms, please receive Him. Please come to Him. And please know the joy of life everlasting. Amen. Amen.
Good afternoon, folks. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing a local congregation. We meet at two Farnwood Terrace. That's just up Dumbarton Road. When you come to the police station, opposite the police station, there's a hill. Go up the hill and you'll come to Thornwood Primary School first of all. And we're beside them on the crossroads. We're there. We meet at um, two Thornwood Terrace. We meet on the Lord's Day, Sunday at 11 a.m. And we also meet on the early evening at 6 p.m. And then we also have a midweek meeting on Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. And we extend a warm welcome to you to come along where you might hear something more about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one of the blessings and the benefits of coming out with the gospel is that you meet with people that you would not normally meet with and you hear their comments and you're able to interact with them. And it's good to come out of your churches and to come out of the study and to touch base with normal, average people as they go about their, their daily business and to hear their comments regarding the gospel. And with no disrespect to anyone, it's clear that there is a great deal of ignorance regarding what Christianity is all about. We have a verse that we quote almost every time we come out in the open air. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now this word sinners is a problem for some people. But the Bible makes it clear, and of course we must take our, our teaching, our doctrine, our theology from the Word of God itself, because this is what God has revealed for us, for, our, for us to know and for us to act accordingly. The Bible teaches us that man is not good. Man was created perfect. Of that there is no doubt. God created man, male and female, after his own image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness with dominion over the creatures the Bible would teach. But man did not stay holy and pure and perfect. You know the story. Adam and Eve sinned. They rebelled against God. And because of that, they became sinners and they had a sinful nature they died spiritually. That's what happened to them. The moment that they disobeyed God, something dramatic happened. The relationship that they had with God was broken. They died spiritually. They no, no longer loved the Lord their God, the one who created them. They no longer had that wonderful fellowship and communion and relationship that they once enjoyed. They sided with God's arch enemy, the devil. And therefore, mankind's relationship with God changed dramatically. And this has affected 
every one of us. Why? Because we've all come from Adam and Eve, and they received a sinful nature when they sinned, and we have their sinful nature from the moment of conception. That's why when we come out of the womb, we have a sinful nature, and that sinful nature will manifest itself in sinful activity. It's only obvious. It cannot be avoided. Now, this is mankind's greatest problem. It's a problem that none of the movers and shakers of our day recognize, nor can they address it. Our schools, our colleges, our universities, they do not recognize it. They would like to try to tell us, among other things, that we've evolved from apes. But that is absolute nonsense. Of course, we know we're made in the image of God, although fallen. But even those who have power and influence over us, they do not address this matter because they do not recognize the problem. This is mankind's greatest problem, our own personal sin. And it has to be addressed. That's why Jesus came, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is what we need above everything. We need our sin problem to be dealt with. And friends, the first thing we need to realize is that we cannot deal with it ourselves. It is impossible. It's too great a problem. And more than that, we don't recognize it as a problem. In fact, our sin is such a problem that we love our sin. We delight in sinning. Sinning is our nature. This is what we want to do by nature. And we don't see that it is offensive to a holy God. And therefore, there is a great gulf between a holy God and sinful mankind. And it's a gulf that we don't want to deal with and address. We're so happy in our sins. But sadly, the end results of our sins is not only spiritual death, it's not only physical death, it's eternal death. Now, what is eternal death? Eternal death, friends, is to be eternally separated from the gracious presence of God. That's what it is. And that's a terrible end that awaits all those who will not come and have the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You see, we need a Savior from our sins. We need to be saved from our sins. Who can do that? None but the Lord Jesus. Now you may well be asking me, how can He possibly do this? How can He possibly achieve this? This is remarkable. Friends, He has achieved it because He is the Son of God and He has come down from heaven on a rescue mission. Do you know the Lord Jesus said on one occasion to His disciples, He said, For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. This should cry out to us a great hallelujah. We have a Savior. We have one who has come from heaven in order to save. We have one who is, it is his office. It is his role. It is what he wants to do to save. How can he save? 
He can save because he lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life and kept the law of God perfectly. And his righteousness is given to the believer. If you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, it is as if you perfectly kept the law of God yourself. His righteousness, his obedience is given unto the believer. That's why you must believe upon him. And even more, because he lived a perfect life, because he did no sin and knew no sin and could not sin, he lived a perfect life. Therefore, he was able to offer up a perfect sacrifice. Now, why do we need a sacrifice? We need a sacrifice, friends, because the wages of sin is death. That's what sin requires, and that's what every sinner deserves. Not just spiritual death, not just physical death, but eternal death. That's what we deserve. But Jesus Christ offered up himself a perfect sacrifice to pay the price for sin, because he suffered and died in the room and in the place of sinners. That's what he did, sir. Yeah, that's what he did. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior of sinners. And you know what? The Lord Jesus Christ is still saving sinners today. His blood is still efficacious. What does that mean? Well, there is still potency. There is still power in the blood of the Lord Jesus. And he shed his blood when he offered up that once for all perfect sacrifice in order to make atonement for sin. Yes, incredible it is that the Son of God, God's only begotten Son, came down to this world, took upon himself our form and nature, ultimately that he might die in our room and in our place. That's the good news of the Christian gospel. And it is good news. It's good news for every one of us, for men and women and boys and girls. It's for all nations, all kindreds, all tongues. Why is that so? It is so because we've all come from Adam and we've all sinned in Adam. When Adam sinned, we sinned. We lost our original righteousness and we could never recover it, no matter what we might want to do. That's why, friends, the Bible tells us that all our good works are but like filthy rags in the sight of God. You know, people, sometimes when they think on eternal matters, when they think about what's going to happen to them when they die, when they think about the time when they'll stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, they might begin to think, well, I think I need to change my life. I need to reform myself. I need to change the way. And they try to perform good works, thinking that somehow this will get them right with God. Friends, what we need is a Savior. We cannot do this ourselves. We cannot get right with God ourselves. We must have a Savior. And that Savior is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And that's why we come out this afternoon to tell you about Him, to tell you that, to tell you that you're to call upon Him while He is near. And you know, friends, in some sense, He's near towards us today. 
The gospel has been proclaimed to you today. You are being urged to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ today. And that's why it tells us, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Did you hear that? He will abundantly pardon. That's the God of the Bible. That is the God of the Bible. A God who will abundantly pardon all our sins. Our sins of youth. Our sins of middle age. Our sins of old age. They'll all be forgiven when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. Is this not good news for Buchanan Street today? Is this not good news that we need to hear today that the great God whom we have offended, the great God of heaven, the one who made us and formed us, the one to whom we'll give account, is one who delights in mercy. But I must tell you, friends, that he only shows mercy in Christ. It's only in Christ. You know, there's only one God. You know, people might try to tell us there's, there's many gods and there's many ways to gods, but that is not true. There's only one God. There's only one way to God, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He himself did say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. You know, we live in a time when... It's, un, it's, it's not politically correct to be dogmatic in religious matters. Well, friends, the Lord Jesus Christ was the most dogmatic preacher ever. And he said, I'm simply quoting his words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And what that says, friends, is if you are not following Jesus, you'll not be saved. It doesn't matter who you might follow. It doesn't matter what religion you follow. It doesn't matter what teacher you follow. It doesn't matter what philosophy or doctrine you follow. If you're not following the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be in heaven. You'll not be in glory. You'll never see the Father in glory unless you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Salvation is found in none other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's the message that the apostles declared, and their message turned the world upside down. And the Bible teaches us there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life a ransom for all. 
to be testified in due time. And friends, with all our faults and with all our failings, we're coming out here this afternoon and we're standing in the public square and we're telling all who will hear there's one way to heaven. There's a way to heaven from Glasgow this afternoon. There's a way to heaven from Buchanan Street this afternoon. And it's only to be found in Jesus Christ alone. It's only to be found in Him. And this today is the day of salvation. This is the day when you must put your faith and your hope and your trust upon Him. Whom to know is life everlasting. Now here we are on the street and there's so many people passing by. We've got people with shopping, people with lots of baggage, people going shopping, people going for coffee, people beginning journeys or people ending journeys. It's a constant flow of people all around us. But friends, we're all going in one direction. Where are you going? What am I talking about, you may well be saying. What's the preacher talking about? Well, friends, here we are. We're all on this journey of life. Is that not so? Yes, we may be well be going to different de destinations today, but friends, ultimately, we're all on this one journey. Where are we going? Where are we going? Well, we're all going towards eternity. And maybe for some of us, eternity is just around the corner. Who knows? Life is short. Death is certain. Sin is a problem. Christ is the cure. That's the reality, friends. Life is short. Life is very short when you compare it with eternity. What is life? Have we got 70 years? Have we got 80? Have we got 90? Have we got 100? Maybe we've got a lot less. But what is a hundred years in comparison to eternity? Can you measure eternity, I ask you? Can, you? can you conceive of endless ages? Endless ages on and on and on. That's where we're going. We're all going towards eternity. Now, friends, here we come to the rub of the matter. Where will you spend eternity? Where will you spend eternity? What does the Bible say? The Bible tells us that when we die, we will face judgment. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. That's, what, that's what's ahead of every one of us. A day of judgment when we'll stand before God, who may well be today our greatest enemy, or, if we're a believer, our greatest friend. But that day is coming. For some, it will be sooner rather than later. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Where will you go on that day of judgment? What does the Bible say? We take our teaching from the Word of God. We take our teaching from the Lord Jesus Christ. What does He say? What does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches us, friends, we will go to one of two places. We will go 
if we belong to the Lord Jesus, we will go to heaven. We will go to paradise. We will go to that place where Jesus is. We will go to that place where the angels are. We will go to that place that God has created for His people. We will go to that place and we will enjoy blissfulness and happiness throughout all the ages of eternity. We will go to heaven if Jesus Christ is your Lord and if He is your Savior. But what if He's not? What if you're not a believer in Jesus? What will happen to you? Again, the Bible is clear. The teaching is clear. Those who don't have Christ as Lord and Savior will go to that terrible place called hell. That place that has been prepared for the devil and for his angels. We don't like to think about it, do we? We'd rather put this to the back of our minds. We don't want to face up to the reality of it. But you know, the Lord Jesus, that one who came to seek and to save that which was lost, he spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Now, why did he speak about hell? He spoke about it in order that we might avoid it. That's why he spoke about it. He spoke about it in order that we might be warned about it and that we might seek Him in order that we would be found in heaven with Him. That's why. And therefore, friends, that's why we come out this afternoon because because we're sinners by nature, we're all on that broad road that leads to destruction. And we don't need to do anything. We don't need to do anything to find ourselves ultimately after death, to be in that place called hell. We go there by default because we're born sinners, we're separated, and we're estranged from God. And if nothing changes, if our relationship to God does not change now, then when we die, we will perish. That's why we come out and we want to tell you about the good news of the gospel how that Jesus suffered and died in order that we would not need to suffer and die. He is our substitute. We're not proclaiming ourselves. We're not speaking about ourselves. We're speaking about another. We want to tell you about this person who came to seek and to save that which was lost. And do you know he's still seeking? He's seeking now as the gospel has been proclaimed. Here you are, you're passing by, and maybe you're hearing the gospel for the first time. You're hearing something authentic about Jesus for the first time. Jesus is seeking. Jesus is proclaiming His Word to you this afternoon in the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel would tell us to repent and to believe, to turn away from our sins, to forsake our sins, what does it mean to repent? It means to turn away. It means to stop committing our sins. That's what it means. We're all sinners, friends. There are no exceptions. None whatsoever. God has given us a law. He's given us the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me is the first commandment. And the reality is, every one of us has had 
has other gods. What's a god? A god is someone that takes the place of the one true and the living God. That's what a god is. And I put it to you this afternoon, if you're thinking at all, that you have many gods, and you follow many gods, and therefore you have broken the first commandment. You are guilty of idolatry. Oh, but that's a bit harsh. You might say, that's not true. I'm not an idolater. Friend, the likelihood is you love yourself more than God. How much do you think about God? Do you think about God at all? You got up this morning. Did you give Him thanks for sleep? Did you give Him thanks for rest? Did you give Him thanks for your breakfast? Did you give Him thanks for life, for health, for strength? Did you give Him thanks for your clothes? Did you give Him thanks for your spouse or your partner or your children, for your employment, for your home, for everything you have? Have you given thanks to God? Have you acknowledged God at all? If you're honest, you probably haven't acknowledged God at all. You've been taken up with yourself, with your money, with your occupation, with your spouse, with your partner, with your children, with your grandchildren, with your possessions, with your property, or maybe simply preparing for, the, for tonight, for the weekend. Maybe this is what has occupied your time and you haven't given God a thought. We are idolaters by nature. We have broken the first commandment. The Bible says if we've broken the first commandment, We've broken them all. We're covenant breakers. We're lawbreakers. That's it, friends. The Word of God has found us out. We are guilty. We're sinners in the sight of God. We need a Savior. Who is that Savior? We proclaim to you this afternoon who that Savior is, and He's Jesus Christ. He's only Jesus Christ. He only can save. No one else can. And you must come to Him, and you must have dealings with Him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. We asked the question a few minutes ago, where are you going? Where are you going? Where's this life taking you? Well, sir, you'll go to the pub, but what's going to happen one day when all the party's over, when you're gathered to the grave? It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. How will you fare on that day? How will it be for you on that day? Friends, you need a Savior, and that Savior is only to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to tell you that Jesus Christ will receive you. He is willing to receive. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is a wonderful universal gospel plea from the Lord Jesus Christ to young and to old. 
Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. There's an exhortation there in the Scriptures for the young to close in with Christ now. While they're young, at the peak of their life, before they get too engrossed in sin, seek the Lord Jesus Christ now. Call ye upon Him while He is near. That's what the Bible tells us. Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Oh, ladies, gentlemen, come, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Look past the preacher. Hear what he's trying to say to you. We're talking here about things that are vitally important. We're talking here about where you will spend eternity. What's going to happen to your never dying eternal soul? You know the atheists among us, they delude themselves. How do they delude themselves? They delude themselves by saying there's no life after death. And they try to tell us that this is the only life we have. And therefore, eat, drink, and be merry. Get the best out of this life because when you die, it's all over. But that's nonsense. And you know it's nonsense. Why is it nonsense? Because Jesus rose. The resurrection proves it's nonsense. And the fact that Jesus rose guarantees that you will rise too. You'll have a resurrection and you'll stand before King Jesus as He's on the great white throne. You'll give account to Him. And don't let anyone delude you. Don't let anyone delude you, friends. There is life after death. And what's more, you know it. You know it in your own hearts. You know it within you. You know there's eternity. How will you fear? Where will you spend eternity? Are you ready to meet God? Behold. God bless you, brother. Prepare to meet thy God, the Bible says. Prepare to meet thy God. How can you possibly prepare to meet thy God? The only way to prepare, friends, is to have your sins forgiven, to be reconciled to God, to repent, to turn away from your sin, to turn away from your blasphemy, to turn away from your lying, to turn away from your cheating, to turn away from your adultery and fornication and homosexuality, to turn away from your stealing, to turn away from all your sins. Turn, friends. This is what the Bible teaches us. Repent and believe the gospel. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Call ye upon Him while He is near. And He will receive you. Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. Would that not tell us that there may be occasions when He's not near? There may be occasions, maybe, when He's not near. He's near now, friends, because we're preaching His gospel to you this afternoon. You're to seek Him now. You're to seek Him now while you still have health and strength and you still have your faculties and your soundness of mind. You're to call upon Him now. Oh, Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. That's what's required, friends. We are to repent and to believe the gospel. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man 
his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. He will abundantly pardon. What a wonderful message to close. He will pardon our sins, all of our sins. We're all sinners, some more than others, but we're all sinners in the sight of God. For there's none righteous, no, not one. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but He will pardon our sins in Christ Jesus if you will but come to Him. That's why we come out, that we might tell you something about this person, the Lord Jesus Christ. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Very sobering words from the Lord Jesus Christ. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? <coughs> Friends, we're here from Partick, Free Church of Scotland, continuing. We issue a, a warm welcome to come along on the Lord's Day, Sunday, the first day of the week, 11 a.m., and again at 6 and also on Wednesday at 7.30, we meet at Two Thornwood Terrace. Please come along. You'll hear more about the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done. And may the Lord be pleased to bless His Word to you this afternoon.